Time now for Financial Friday on WOMI with your host, Drew Watson, sponsored by Align Wealth Management. The August 27th edition of Financial Fridays brought to you by Align Wealth Management. I'm your host, Drew Watson, private wealth advisor with Align. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. We're going to take a deeper dive into the geopolitical fallout of the morass in Afghanistan and what that may mean for your portfolios and an old-fashioned what do we know, what do we think we know, and what are we watching as it pertains to these crazy unemployment numbers and people staying out of the workforce uh, as the Delta variant rages on here in the U.S. As we take a look at what's gone on this week, uh, markets up until Thursday had held out uh, pretty good returns most of the week. Everybody's on edge wanting to know what the Fed is going to do next, especially uh, when uh, and how much they may begin their tapering operation. But generally, rates have elevated a bit this week. The 10-year Treasury on Thursday was around 1.34%, and the 30-year benchmark Treasury was still under 2% at 194%. There's still time to refinance if you haven't to get a better mortgage deal than probably what you've had in the past. With lower interest rates, tech stocks have had a pretty good run this week. Uh, NASDAQ was off Thursday, as I stated, along with the Dow. Uh, There is a little bit of skittishness due to the terrorist activity around the Kabul airport, but mainly all eyes are on what the Fed may do uh, and their timing and the impact of it. As we look at what I would call the commodity du jour that we've been following now for months, lumber has had a little bit of a rally this uh this week, it's back above 500. Looks like it's settling out Thursday at about 525 before we get into trading today. Uh, on a recent due diligence trip, I can tell you on I-65, uh, lots of lumber is heading up from the mills in Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi uh, to farther reaches north uh, to be put into practice. Light crude, uh, as we've talked about, it's under $70 a barrel. Uh, it's around 67.81, and also spot gold, just under $1,800 an ounce at about 17.92 to 17.94 per ounce. Uh, most of the benchmarks this week, uh, except for the Dow, had punched up to new all-time highs, including the S&P, um, you know, right at about 4,500, and the Nasdaq Composite crossed over the $15,000 or 15,000 point line this week. Uh, a lot of focus in markets uh, with what China may do to help stimulate their economy and or what steps they may uh, uh, take with uh, regards to uh, bank reserves, et cetera, uh, to try to stimulate that economy. Here in the U.S., all eyes are on COVID, as we'll get into a little bit later in the show. There is some conflicting information on maybe why people are staying out of the workforce uh, with regards to either unemployment benefit enhancements versus just old-fashioned wanting to avoid any danger. But one thing is clear, Europe has performed a little bit better this year than Asia. The U.S. still looks like it's in one of the leading market spots this year, um, just behind some of the European bourses that have been running away uh, with, with good returns. Also, as we get closer to perhaps an official passage of the infrastructure bill, uh, there's a lot of action in both water and electric infrastructure as well as the more hard construction projects that may come around with regards to infrastructure. 
As we stated, rates uh, have gone up a little bit this week, but remain pretty much within their range that they've been in now since probably June. And uh, perhaps when the chairman of the Fed speaks uh, this morning, they will change their tune and, and go one direction uh, meaningfully, maybe more up. One thing is for sure there will be a lot of talk about inflation as more and more signs are out there that maybe this inflation isn't going to be just a uh, strong wind blowing through town. It may be a new neighbor that's there. Finally, there does appear to be a, a little bit of a, a slowing up of new COVID infections, but death rates are surging. This is almost identical to what the United Kingdom went through about two months ahead of us. And in their case, it took about 96% of their populace to either be vaccinated or exposed to the virus and or both before they got a break from the Delta variant. So it could be that herd immunity really is a very, very large number and not down in the 60 or 80% range that some scientists bandied about earlier on in this pandemic. Keep in mind, uh, we're out here where really nobody knows what's going on but the Lord Almighty and uh, we'll, hopefully he's watching over us. We'll be back with our second segment. And you've been listening to Financial Fridays brought to you by Lion Wealth Management. Here's a word from our sponsor. What do you want to do when you grow up? When we were young, it's a question we were often asked. As we get older, our passions become clearer. Our pursuits become careers. And if we're diligent, we begin to plan for the life we want to live. That's why at Ameriprise Financial, we ask, what's most important to you? Starting with our confident retirement approach, your Ameriprise Financial Advisor will ask questions that will help you arrive at a customized plan that can help you realize your goals today, tomorrow, and throughout retirement. With the right financial advisor, life can be brilliant. Call Align Wealth Management, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc. today at 270-684-8424. That's 270-684-8424. Office is located at 2708 New Hartford Road in Owensboro, Kentucky. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Hello and welcome back to Financial Fridays brought to you by Align Wealth Management. I'm your host, Drew Watson, private wealth advisor with Align Wealth Management. And in today's second segment where we'll do a deep dive on investments, um, let's take a break and look at kind of what we know, what we don't know, and what we're watching uh, with what's happening in the U.S., especially with COVID. And this is uh, information mainly gathered from our friends at BCA across the border in bright and sunny Canada. Specifically speaking, unless you've been kind of living in a suspended animation, you know the last year and a half has been dominated by one thing. Well, I should say two, the COVID mainly, but then the election secondly. But as it pertains to COVID and its impact on the markets, let's look at Three main drivers uh, that, that we will be watching to make sure uh, we try to stay in front of what's happening for you, our listeners. One is looking at the economy. And COVID-19 and the official and individual responses to it continue to exert considerable influence over economic activity. Uh, they expect that the labor force participation and employment will rise as people return to the workforce, provided that resurgent infection rates don't provide a new reasons to stay on the sidelines. Hello, Delta. 
Secondly, let's take a look at markets. Uh, financial asset valuations are elevated, but a derating catalyst may not emerge anytime soon. With the massive infusions of physical aid and a Fed that is determined to err on the side of being too easy, uh, this should support the fundamental backdrop even as the Delta variant runs wild in communities with low vaccination rates. Thirdly, strategy. Be alert, but stay the course unless policymakers change direction or their measures lose their force. Uh, as we've stated, uh, a lot of analysts continue to expect that risk assets will outperform treasuries and cash. Risk assets meaning um, junk bonds, low credit rated bonds, and stocks. And with Labor Day just two weeks away, will the mark that will mark the unofficial end of summer in the United States. And this year, the end of August will mark its own milestone: 18 months of the pandemic. COVID-19's year-and-a-half residency has been filled with uncertainty and misdirection, but now it seems clear that it will be staying for good. It is disheartening to concede that we will have to accommodate an unwanted malign presence, especially when we seem to be on the verge of cornering and trapping it. The emotional letdown may have accounted for the slide in consumer confidence that we saw last week, but it's important to note that the virus will be living with indefinitely has morphed from a peril to a nuisance. Now, it is odd they, they use the word nuisance as uh, locally and nationally we continue to get reports of even vaccinated people passing away. So that is a very uh, interesting choice of words there, and I think in a future episode we will take a deeper dive in this. One constant amidst the pandemic confusion has been the federal shock and awe campaign to protect the economy from its ravages. And the Fed went big right off the bat, cutting rates to zero and instituting $120 billion of monthly securities purchases um, and unveiling a range of novel programs to ease financial stresses. Also, you can look at what else has gone on with uh, economic payments directly to people, which is unprecedented, as well as the unemployment benefits that have been going on. So let's take a deeper dive right off the bat in the workforce. So what are the known factors? The pandemic has driven a reduction in the labor force participation rate. After catching up from the cyclical damage inflicted by the global financial crisis, the share of people aged 16 and above who are working or looking for work has once again fallen well off its implied demographic pace. GDP and the S&P 500 earnings are making new highs, but labor force participation is still down by 2% after have fallen a whopping 4.9% at the April 2020 trough. Labor force participation typically slips during recessions, but the pandemic's peak to trough decline was more than five times the decline experienced during the great financial crisis, which held the previous record. Uh, that's a, that's a fact that's hard to overstate five times. So when we were in the depths of a longer last recession, uh, you had five times as many people wanting jobs as now. Here are some unknown factors. The explosion in unemployment while communities were sheltering in place was a foregone conclusion, and it's easy to see how people might have slipped out of the labor force as they withdrew from jobs that lost their luster. There are more job openings than unemployed people now, though, and there are still 3.2 million fewer people in the labor force than there were before the pandemic. This, persist this persistence of high unemployment and low participation is a mystery that at this point no academic study has fully explained. 
The most frequently cited hypothesis involves generous unemployment insurance benefits, difficulty securing care for children or adults, and or a fair fear of infection. Uh, BCA, they are skeptical of the claims that supplemental unemployment insurance benefits and the additional cushion provided by three rounds of direct payments to households are a principal driver. Uh, those totaled $3,200 per adult over the last 18 months. But that doesn't replace even a $10 hourly wage for more than a couple of months uh, on those direct payments. Unemployment benefits can't be blamed for the low participation rate. You can't collect unemployment benefits if you drop out or quit work. And their impact on the unemployment rate may also be less than it's cracked up to be. There is a very weak negative relationship between state-level replacement rates, that's the value of average unemployment benefits relative to average compensation, and changes in state unemployment rates, while the most generous $600 of additional weekly unemployment benefits was in effect. July's state unemployment rates, for example, were inconclusive on the question of whether exiting the federal supplemental unemployment insurance benefit program reduced unemployment. The 25 states that ended their participation early saw a smaller decline in their average unemployment rate than the 26, including Washington, D.C., that remained in the program. But the early exit states had a lower starting average unemployment rate. Of the 18 states that had statistically significant month-on-month unemployment rate declines, eight have already exited the supplemental unemployment benefit program and 10 remained. Of the 39 states with statistically significant employment gains, 17 had already exited the supplemental unemployment insurance program and 22 remain. I would say by the end of the augmented benefits in early September, this will give the labor market a modest boost, but curtailing benefit supplements does not appear to be a silver bullet for reducing unemployment or increasing participation. We suspect family care burdens have been more of a drag on participation and or exiting the unemployment roles. Young children attending school remotely had to have adult supervision, sidelining adults who could not work remotely. In a similar fashion, many workers who relied on outside providers to care for adult family members during the, the day found themselves unable to work or petrified of exposing their homebound loved ones to the virus if they did. Family care burdens regularly fall more heavily on females than males and the greater decline in aggregate female participation and across the below prime age and prime age and above prime age workforce categories suggest care issues are restraining employment. Infection fears likely waned with the development of effects of vaccine and their initially rapid distribution, but the spread of the Delta variant may have rekindled them, especially in areas with low vaccination rates. It will take progress in vaccinating the reluctant and dissemination of antibodies via new infections to hasten the peak in the Delta wave, which should align with the peak in infection fears. So what to watch, especially in the payrolls, would be net non-farm payroll gains, labor force participation, and COVID-19 infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. A big key also is the school's ability to host in-person learning and ongoing data from states exiting unemployment, additional unemployment insurance plans. In looking at consumptions, it's known that consumption really peaked when the uh, physical transfer started from the federal government. And households have amassed $2.3 trillion of excess pandemic savings. So consumptions 
should go on and what to watch there would be household income, savings rates, credit card and or consumption loan balances, and borrower performance. It's worth noting that initially credit card balances were reduced by 14% during the early periods of the pandemic, but people are getting back to spending money. These are just a few things that are known, unknown, and what we're watching. But you keep listening to Financial Fridays right here on our same station. We'll be back after a word from our sponsors. When today is unpredictable, you need sound advice and strong support to help you stay focused on your long-term financial goals for tomorrow. Ameriprise has been guiding clients through challenging times for over 125 years. You can take comfort in working with an advisor who's backed by that strong experience and who's there to guide you with personalized, goal-based financial advice. Together, you and your Ameriprise advisor can plan your future while navigating your now. Call Align Wealth Management, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, today at 270-684-8424. That's 270-684-8424. Offices located at 2708 New Hartford Road in Owensboro, Kentucky. Hello and welcome back to Financial Fridays brought to you by Align Wealth Management. I'm your host, Drew Watson, and this is our financial planning segment of the show. And today we're going to focus on why maybe it's important to look at the bigger picture uh, a couple times a year, especially in your financial planning, because sometimes international events or big picture items can produce headwinds, tailwinds, or uh, specific outcomes that could make you want to look at altering your longer-term financial plans. If you've listened to this show for any period of time, you know that for the last year, we've kind of been watching what's going on in China. The reason why is they're the second biggest economy in the U- in the world. And they are closing in on U.S. uh, global economic dominance. But there has been a lot of changes afoot in China, and not a lot of it gets reported. And I think it's good to have the facts uh, as they present themselves and why that could be important for your economic situation. And then we'll also take an eye and look at kind of what might be some of the political fallout and how that may impact economic situations given the unfolding – Events in Afghanistan that by any measure have not been uh, handled probably in a way that most people in the U.S. would have thought they would have been handled uh, just a month ago. But let's start looking at uh, what's going on uh, in the geopolitical world with uh, the Chinese economy and the People's Republic. Uh, a lot of analysts uh, maintain a pessimistic outlook on Chinese currency and their assets. Uh, Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping laid out a plan on August 18th for, quote-unquote, common prosperity. If you're a student of history and went to uh, high school while they still taught history, you'll remember the phrase, the East Asian co-prosperity sphere uh, coined by uh, Japanese Prime Minister Tojo uh, right before he ran into about 17 countries uninvited. But Xi has laid this out uh, for, quote-unquote, common prosperity in China that will help guide national policy over the coming decades. So it's important for us in the U.S. to watch this. The key takeaways from the plan are the long 2049 deadline, so that's almost 30 years away, and the emphasis on, quote, mixed ownership, unquote, in the corporate sphere 
retaining a big role for state control and state-owned enterprises but attracting private capital. The redistribution of household income, read into this, reform the tax code, the establishment of property rights. So keep in mind, uh, this says the establishment of, not the protection of. Uh, we take for granted property rights in this country, and I think most people would probably be shocked to realize that China has no property rights. Uh, so that's a big deal if you're investing overseas. And the censorship of media and discourse and the need to reduce rural disparity. The most important point of all is that Beijing intends to grow the size and well-being of its middle class, the foundation of a country's strength. The plan confirms the team's top key view for the year that there is a Chinese confluence of internal and external risks as well as the Chinese long-running theme that domestic political risk is greater than it looks because of the underlying problems like inequality and weak governance. The market has woken up to these views and themes. That's very, very clear. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know that even though Z is basically a dictator, he may not be as powerful as, or secure in his role as most Western media outlets would portray him. Now Beijing is turning to address these problems, which is positive if it follows through. But investors will have to cope with new policies and laws that reverse the pro-business context of the recent decades. Chief economic and investment takeaways would be that while China will push forward various reforms, Beijing cannot afford to self-inflict an economic collapse. So monetary and fiscal policy will ease over the coming 12 months, and as such, China policy tightening will not short-circuit the global recovery. Chinese earnings may still be weak in the near term. Also, in looking at um, has the recent events been a mortal blow for the Biden administration, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden's approval rating is stumbling as earlier optimistic statements about the fight against the pandemic and the withdrawal from Afghanistan have gone up in smoke. However, investors should not conclude that Biden's administration is mortally wounded, according to some geopolitical strategists. First, Biden's approval rating is still well above President Trump's at this stage and is likely to remain above Trump's as long as the economic recovery continues and Congress passes one or both of Biden's major legislative proposals. Secondly, Biden is highly likely, about an 80 percent chance, to pass his infrastructure package. True, Republicans could run away from the bipartisan deal in the wake of the Afghanistan debacle, but then Democrats can fold it up into their fiscal year 2022 budget reconciliation bill, which they can pass on partisan lines. Third, Democrats will desperately need a victory in wake of the humiliating Afghanistan withdrawal, so they are more than likely to vote for Biden's reconciliation bill than they were previously. The big risk to Biden is Iran and the Middle East. Under new hawkish leadership, the Iranians have increased their uranium enrichment, and they have continued staging provocations against oil tankers in the Persian Gulf. Iran says it will go back to complying with the 2015 nuclear deal only if Biden revokes economic sanctions. But Biden would have to take another hit in domestic opinion if he unilaterally reduces sanctions on Iran. A damaging political narrative on being weak on terrorism could develop. Thus, Biden will have to be tough on Iran and could overreact to Iranian provocations, which are surely set to continue. The geopolitical tensions here, as you could probably read, when any time this goes on in the Middle East, it does put upward pressure on oil prices going forward. So if you use a lot of gasoline uh, or you're in the oil market, uh, it looks like prices could be headed 
farther north in any given scenario. You've been listening to Financial Fridays brought to you by Align Wealth Management, and we'll be back after a word from our sponsors for our email bag segment. What do you want to do when you grow up? When we were young, it's a question we were often asked. As we get older, our passions become clearer. Our pursuits become careers. And if we're diligent, we begin to plan for the life we want to live. That's why at Ameriprise Financial, we ask, what's most important to you? Starting with our confident retirement approach, your Ameriprise Financial Advisor will ask questions that will help you arrive at a customized plan that can help you realize your goals today, tomorrow, and throughout retirement. With the right financial advisor, life can be brilliant. Call Align Wealth Management, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc. today at 270-684-8424. That's 270-684-8424. Office is located at 2708 New Hartford Road in Owensboro, Kentucky. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Hello and welcome back to the fourth segment here on Financial Fridays brought to you by Lime Wealth Management. I'm your host, Drew Watson, and this is the email bag segment where we answer your questions on financial topics. And today's question comes in from a longtime listener that's looking at doing some updates to their home but have been holding up due to the higher uh, than normal construction cost, i.e., I read into that, higher cost of lumber. Earlier this week, lumber was back down to about $478 uh, per 1,000 board feet. That's a far cry from the $1,734 per 1,000 board feet high put in just this May. But what we know is lumber mills, where they can, are running wide open uh, to try to take advantage of higher than normal prices. In case you're wanting to know, uh, typically lumber prices stay in about a 350 to $500 per 1,000 board feet uh, range. Uh, right around when the pandemic came in, we were probably close to the 400 number. So, you know, rough math, we're within uh, probably about uh, 19% uh, away from being right on the button as far as the long-term historical averages of where we were before the pandemic. But since this is the last full week of August, the question is really how long does it take those raw commodity input prices to trickle through to purchasing the wood you need to complete your project at your local uh, hardware store or big box store? So in looking at that, traditionally, input prices, depending on how long and the cost it takes to kind of take the raw commodity and turn it into a finished good, uh, all play into factor. With lumber, you know, that turnaround is probably six to eight weeks. So, you know, in essence, a good way to kind of track this would be to go back to somewhere, say, like your lumber yard or a Home Depot or Lowe's and ask them what was their high point for you know, two by fours. Uh, the high point for the market, as I said, was right around uh, the beginning of the second week of May. And you can kind of see what is the differences in price there. Um, one of the few commodities that it's difficult to do this with that moves much quicker is unleaded gasoline as typically just in about a week's time um, changes in the underlying uh, commodity price versus what you see at the pump take place. But with lumber, um, I think past history would support a time frame uh, in changing in prices being about 
six to eight weeks. Uh, another uh, another commodity that goes into a lot of building projects is what they call in our business Dr. Copper. Um, copper really is, is pretty much um, now in a trading range. It's been in since March. Uh, copper right now is about uh, $4. It uh, looks like four twenty six and change. Um on the December contracts, as I said, it's been 426 in March. It's been in mid-April. Uh, we saw some elevated prices through May, June, and July, and we're back to close to the range where we were uh, in late June. We've kind of hit that in July, and now uh, we've had a little bit of a breakdown in August, but the copper has, has come back as well. Copper's in a lot of things, uh, not just in home building, but a lot of manufacturing. And, you know, one tip that I would uh, take away from this show is if you kind of want a good gauge of what's going on with the economy, look at copper prices. It is really a industrial workhorse type metal. So when there's great demand for that, you'll see prices increase. One reason for copper prices uh, to probably be in, on the um, downslope a little bit has to do with our friends across the Pacific Ocean is it is clear we continue to get more and more data that shows that the Chinese economy is struggling mightily, and as we cover that in our third segment on, um, you know, why watch international markets uh, for your home consumption, that uh, you definitely get the idea that things in China are not uh, not what they were even uh, a year ago. But with that said, um, I would keep watching lumber prices. Uh, you can Google this. It's typically available. Copper prices, as you see those keep coming down, I would give it um, a good six weeks to two months, and you should see those decreases reciprocated when you go to the retail establishments. Just remember, summer's almost over and Labor Day's right around the corner. And we'll be back same time, same station next week. You've been listening to Financial Fridays brought to you by Lion Wealth Management. And we'll be back next week. This is WOMI Owensboro.